You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. I wanted to share with you the story behind Gerald Ford's most famous quote, told by Mr. Ford himself. He shared it with our former CBS colleague Phil Jones back in 1984 during an interview that was not to be aired until after Mr. Ford's death. So here it is for the first time. The country will always remember that stirring speech of yours when you took over. My fellow Americans, our long national nightmare is over. Did you really believe it was over when you said that? That's an interesting thing, Phil. Uh, You know Bob Hartman, who was my principal speechwriter, and Bob put together a draft. I read it, and that phrase, a long national nightmare, sort of jarred me. And I said, Bob, we really ought not to use that. Let's not be too harsh. Let's not be too uh, dramatic. And Bob really put his foot down and he said, "Uh, that is an accurate expression of what has taken place and you've got to keep it in the speech. So after thinking about it and talking to Betty about it, uh, We decided to leave it in, and boy, in retrospect, uh, I'm awfully glad we did. and welcome to this edition of Gerald Ford. And uh, this is going to be uh, just a short, special edition. Uh, when we were doing the epilogue to the Nixon series, when we got to the fall of Saigon, we wanted to cover it, but the emphasis was still on Richard Nixon. And I stumbled upon the press conference that was given on May 6th of 1975 uh, that Gerald Ford gave after the fall of Saigon. This is when he comes out. He, he makes his statement, takes some questions, and uh, I thought I would share it with you and let you hear these events you know, as they happened. Unfortunately, this is going to be a little bit out of order, uh, but we thought we would go back to May 6th of 1975 to the moment that President Ford came out and spoke to the nation on the fall of Saigon. Good evening, uh, Ms. Thomas. What are the lessons of Vietnam in terms of the presidency, the Congress, and the American people? Uh, in terms of secret diplomacy and fighting a land war in Asia, also, would you welcome a congressional inquiry into how we got in and how we got out of Vietnam? Ms. Thomas, the war in Vietnam is over. It was sad and tragic in many respects. I think it would be unfortunate for us to rehash allegations as to individuals that might be to blame or administrations that might be at fault. It seems to me that it's over. We ought to look ahead. And I think a congressional inquiry at this time would only be divisive, not helpful. May I ask you then, don't you think that we can learn from the past? Ms. Thomas, I think uh, the lessons of the past in Vietnam 
have already been learned, learned uh, by presidents, learned by uh, Congress, uh, learned by the American people, and we should have our focus on the future. And as far as I'm concerned, that's where we will concentrate. Ms. Lewis. President, uh, your forthcoming meetings with Egyptian uh, President Sadat and Israeli Prime Minister Rabin, uh, do they represent the beginning of a new American-led negotiation in the Middle East toward a peace settlement? They do not represent a new negotiating process. I am meeting with President Sadat and Prime Minister Rabin for the purpose of getting from them any recommendations they might have as to how we can maintain the peace in uh, the Middle East, how we can come to some final settlement that will be beneficial to all of the parties. We're in the process of reassessing our Middle East policy, and they can make a very valuable contribution with their uh, on-the-spot recommendations. President, do you now see any hopeful signs that there is any movement there off dead center? I'm always optimistic. Uh, I believe that uh, the leaders of all of the countries, both Arab and Israeli, as well as others, recognize the seriousness of any new military engagement in the Middle East and the ramifications that might come from it. So I'm optimistic that uh, as we try to move ahead, uh, aimed at uh, avoiding a stalemate, avoiding stagnation, that we can work with other countries in order to uh, ensure the peace and a settlement that will be satisfactory to all parties. Mr. President, you've been reported as being damn mad about the adverse reaction of American people to the Vietnamese refugees. And I would like to ask you, how do you explain that reaction? What, in your judgment, is the cause of that? Mr. Lissagor, I am primarily very upset because the United States has had a long tradition of opening its doors to immigrants from all countries. We're a country built by immigrants from all areas of the world. And we've always been a humanitarian nation. And when I read or heard some of the comments made a few days ago, I was disappointed and very upset. I was encouraged this afternoon, however, uh, I understand that the executive committee of the AFL-CIO passed a resolution urging that the United States open its doors and uh, make opportunities available for the South Vietnamese who have been driven or escaped from their country. I understand that the American Jewish Committee has likewise passed a resolution this afternoon uh, endorsing the uh, policy of making opportunity available in the United States for uh, South Vietnamese. And I am very proud of those governors, like uh, Governor Pryor of Arkansas, Governor Askew of Florida, Governor Longley of Maine, Governor Evans of Washington, Governor Oroshi of Hawaii, as well as Mayor Alioto, who have communicated with me and indicated their support for a policy of giving the opportunity of South Vietnamese to come from this country to escape the possibility of death in their country under the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong. 
and individuals who wanted an opportunity for freedom. I think this is the right attitude for Americans to take, and I'm delighted for the support that I've gotten. Yeah. That and ask you what why in your judgment is there such a widespread adverse reaction to this? I understand the um, attitude of some. We have serious economic problems. But out of the 120,000 uh, refugees who are either here or on their way, 60% of those are children. They ought to be given an opportunity. Only 35,000 heads of families will be uh, moved into our total society. Now, I understand people who are concerned with our economic problems, but we have assimilated uh, between 50 and 100,000 Hungarians in the mid-50s. We have brought into this country some 500 to 600,000 Cubans. They've been good citizens, and we ought to welcome these people in the same way. And despite our economic problems, I'm convinced that the vast majority of Americans today want these people to have another opportunity to escape the probability of death. And therefore, I applaud those who feel that way. Uh, Mr. President, I'd like to ask a political question. What, what steps have you taken so far toward the creation of a campaign organization in 1976? And if you haven't taken any steps, what steps do you plan to take in the future, and when do you plan to take them? Within the last week, uh, a group uh, headed by Dean Birch have indicated that they would like to get started in a very informal way uh, to uh, kick off a campaign at the proper time. Uh, this group is meeting uh, within the next few days, I understand. They expect to get a great many more who will join them. Uh, the precise time when we will take the formal step to um, declare my candidacy has not yet been determined. But uh, I would only reiterate my intention to become a candidate. You've uh, said many times that you intend to become a candidate, and yet there seems to be continuing skepticism in some quarters of your own party uh, that you really will be. Well, why do you think that uh, skepticism uh, has endured? I'm uh, surprised myself that there's any skepticism. Uh, I know my intention. I've said it repeatedly, as you've indicated. I intend to be a candidate. I believe that I have the best opportunity to uh, solidify the Republican Party, uh, getting strength from both the right as well as the left within the Republican spectrum, and to put on a good campaign against the individual that the Democratic Party nominates. Uh, there should be no skepticism about my intention. I will be at the proper time, a candidate in a legal sense, and no one should uh, feel otherwise. Follow that up, sir. Will you this year be going out and speaking at Republican gatherings, doing the kind of political things that presidents often do in the year before they run for election? I undoubtedly will make an effort to um, help the Republican Party. I think that's a proper function for a president. Uh, I did it a week or so ago uh, for the uh, Republican Party in the state of Virginia, and I'll do uh, similar uh, 
activities in the future, but that effort will be aimed at helping the party. We need a strong two-party system, and I have a responsibility to try and help the Republican Party. Ms. McGrory, uh, may I congratulate you on uh, your uh, uh, Pulitzer Prize, and I'm delighted to recognize you. Thank you very much, Mr. President. I was wondering if now that the war is over for everybody, and we are admitting many thousands of Vietnamese, including, we are told, some young men who did not obey their country's draft laws, have you reconsidered your position on amnesty towards young Americans? Ms. McGrory, uh, about six months ago, I initiated a program under former Congressman Charles Goodell and a group of eight others uh, to uh, grant uh, relief or amnesty to some 120,000 uh, individuals uh, who were either uh, deserters or did not uh, comply with the uh, uh, selective service laws. As I recollect, uh, up to a week or so ago, approximately 30,000 out of that group had applied. I assume that most of them will uh, have a change in their status. I hope so. And uh, therefore, I have taken, I think, a step that was right. It is a good program, and I just wish that more had taken advantage of it. Yes. At the present time, uh, we're in the process, or they, the commissioner, in the process of handling the applications. I hope they'll expedite and uh, be very generous in their uh, consideration of the records of those who have applied. Uh, there's always a chance in the future if the facts justify it. Yes. Even though the war is over, sir, there are many Americans who must still live with the agonies that it caused them. I speak primarily of those who wounded and crippled and the families of those who died. In very human and personal terms, how would you speak to them about the sacrifices that were made? Well, first, let me say very emphatically, they... Um, made a great sacrifice. The 56,000 that died and the countless thousands who were wounded, I honor and respect them, and their contribution was most significant. I think their contribution was not in vain. Uh, five presidents uh, carried out a national policy. Six Congresses endorsed that policy, which was a policy of our country, and they carried out that responsibility as a member of our armed forces. I think we should praise them, congratulate them, and we have an uh, unbelievable um, commitment to them in the future. All we can say is, Thank you very much for what they've done for freedom. Sir, you mentioned that you spoke to some Virginia Republicans weekend before last, and at that time you said that in 1976 we will have some excellent results in foreign policy. After the past few weeks, we've all used a little bit of news. Could you tell us just what you do expect in 76? Yes, I think between now and the end of 1976, we're going to make progress in uh, the negotiations for a SALT II agreement. 
It hasn't been finalized, but the atmosphere is good. It's going to be some hard negotiating, but uh, I will approach that important uh, meeting with uh, Mr. Brezhnev uh, aimed at uh, achieving results, and I think his attitude uh, will reflect the same. I think you're going to find a greater solidarity uh, in, our, in Europe. I'm going to Europe the latter part of this month to uh, strengthen that solidarity and to work on a more unified position in solving our joint economic problems, in trying to solve the energy problems that uh, are serious for all of us. Uh, it's my judgment that uh, we can move ahead even in the Pacific. Uh, we'll have to uh, re uh, not reassess, but assess how we can proceed. But uh, it's my aim to uh, tie more closely together uh, South Korea with the United States, uh, to reaffirm our commitments to Taiwan, uh, to uh, work more closely with Indonesia, uh, with the Philippines, and with other Pacific uh, nations. Uh, these are the kind of, uh, I believe, forward movements in foreign policy that will be beneficial in the maintenance of peace. If I might just follow that up one second. Is your job going to be complicated by what happened in Southeast Asia? You've gone out of your way in the past week or two to say that the United States will honor its foreign commitments. What sort of private feedback are you getting from foreign capitals? Is there a lack of confidence now, a loss of confidence in the United States? We do get uh, reactions from foreign governments wondering what our position will be, asking where we will go and what our policy will be. We have indicated to our friends that we will maintain our commitments. We understand the perception that uh, some countries may have as a result of the setback in South Vietnam. But that perception is not a reality because the United States is strong militarily. The United States is strong economically despite our current problems. And we are going to maintain our leadership on a worldwide basis and we want our friends to know that we will stand by them, and we want any potential adversaries to know that we will stand up to them. Persistent reports here in Washington that the Rockefeller Commission is looking into reports that somehow or the other, discussions uh, of the assassination of Fidel Castro may have somehow triggered the assassination of John Kennedy. Can you tell us, is there any connection between those two events? I cannot give you the inside information on the Rockefeller Commission because I established it for the purpose of investigating the CIA and making any recommendations concerning it. Uh, it's my understanding that they are taking a very broad look. Uh, until I get their report, I think it would be premature for me to make any comment as to precisely where they are going with their investigation. Now, as a former member of the Warren Commission, 
a commission that I think did a good job. Uh, we found, as a Warren Commission, no connection of anything between Cuba and the United States. We found no evidence of a conspiracy, foreign or domestic. Uh, after eight years of a Republican in the White House, there probably will be a lot of people who next year will say it's time for a change. Now, what accomplishments can you cite to rebut the argument that there should be such a change? Well, I don't think there ought to be a change. I, uh, I strongly believe that uh, a continuation of uh, the basic policies of the last uh, eight years uh, will be good for America. And let me uh, take a minute or two to talk about foreign policy. Uh, a Republican administration ended the war in Vietnam. They withdrew 5, 550,000 American military personnel. They brought back all of the POWs. Uh, the United States, under a Republican administration, uh, took the first meaningful steps in trying to control nuclear arms. And I think we're going to have continued success in that area. Uh, in the domestic uh, area, we have uh, gone through a difficult time. But uh, when you look at the overall, a period of eight years, I think uh, domestically there will be far more pluses and minuses. And therefore, it's my judgment that uh, uh, the American people, if we uh, sell the program properly, uh, we will have an excellent opportunity of prevailing in November of 1976. You tell us other things, the economic issue, I'm assuming that's what you're saying here, but what if the economy is at a low ebb next year? If unemployment is about what it is now, uh, can you win? I don't think uh, the economic conditions in 1976 will be comparable to those today. I think we're at the end of the recession, I believe that uh, we can look forward to some improvement uh, economically in the third and fourth quarters of 1975, and they ought to improve uh, in 1976. Uh, therefore, in my judgment, uh, we will be looking in the future towards better times at home and a good foreign policy abroad. Yes. Uh, events in Indochina outran the deliberative process of the Congress, and you weren't given the uh, uh, clearly defined authority to use U.S. forces to evacuate there because of Cambodia and Vietnam. And my question uh, goes to the, the matter of uh, whether it was a personal dilemma for you as Commander-in-Chief to use U.S. forces without the expressed uh, concurrence of the Congress. Our prime objective, of course, both in the evacuation from Phnom Penh and Cambodia and in Saigon was to uh, bring all Americans out of both uh, locations. Now, in the process, uh, it did appear to be wise, particularly in Saigon, to take out uh, a number of South Vietnamese. We did that because, number one, uh, we felt that a number of these South Vietnamese had been very loyal to the United States and deserved an opportunity uh, to live in freedom. And secondly, the possibility existed if we had not brought out uh, some South Vietnamese 
that there could have been an anti-American attitude developed that would have complicated the evacuation of our American personnel. So I felt that uh, what we did uh, could be fully justified in not only evacuating Americans, but evacuating some of the South Vietnamese who wanted to come to the United States. <clears throat> yeah. um, Secretary Kissinger said that all of the Americans who wanted to leave South Vietnam were evacuated, but there may be some reason to believe not all were evacuated. Some organizations, for example, report at least eight missionaries captured in the northern part of South Vietnam. So I'm wondering if there is some process to check uh, this sort of thing out and what could be done about it. We certainly made a maximum effort to get every American out. Uh, we found in the last week that uh, on a certain day they could tell us that there were a thousand Americans that were uh, ready to come out and we'd take three or four hundred out and then the next day uh, we would find that a number of other Americans had come into Saigon and wanted to get out. So uh, we certainly made a tremendous effort to get all Americans out. I'm sure there are some who are left. Uh, at this time, I can't give you the specifics as to how we will seek to get any Americans who are still there, but we will do all we can to achieve that result. Yes. Mr. President. Uh, Mr. President, uh, you've praised uh, Ambassador Graham Martin's record in Vietnam, and you've also defended the evacuation of Vietnamese civilians. Yet there's some evidence that uh, Mr. Martin's actions made it impossible for some Vietnamese to escape who were long-standing employees of the United States government, and others were evacuated on the basis of their ability to pay. Have you investigated any of these charges, and do you still believe that Ambassador Martin's record is one of effectiveness? Because of the... Uh ability of Ambassador Martin to handle a tough situation and it was very difficult. We got all Americans out and we got roughly 120,000 plus South Vietnamese. I'm familiar with some uh, individuals who uh, are critical of the way in which Ambassador Martin handled it. I never had much uh, faith in Monday morning quarterbacks or grandstand quarterbacks. Uh, I would rather put faith in the man who carried out a very successful evacuation of Americans and a tremendous number of South Vietnamese. And rather than be critical of somebody who I think did a good job, I think we ought to praise him. And uh, if some of these uh, uh, people want to, in hindsight, uh, who didn't have the responsibility, criticize him. I think we'll accept it for what it's worth. Mr. President, there's been, uh, there have been some references tonight to the economic situation. The overall unemployment rate is 9%, but among black teenagers and young black males and some other minority groups is three times that. What plans do you have to cope with the social consequences of that kind of unemployment? Uh, we are concerned about the unemployment of the youth particularly and the highest percentage of course of unemployment falls in the black youth group. I submitted to the Congress about a month ago a request for 450 million dollars as I recollect 
to fund a uh, young people's uh, employment program for this coming summer. Now, unfortunately, the Congress hasn't approved that funding. And the steps that have been taken, uh, I think, will hamper the possibility of getting that funding to meet this problem. And they've added about $3 billion over and above of extra funding that I don't think can be justified. If the Congress would approve the request that I made, roughly $450 million, uh, we would be in a position right now to do something about the problem that you raise. Mr. President, the, the record of recent years is that that kind of summer jobs and that kind of thing has not prevented what really is a chronic long-term uh, problem of 30 percent unemployment in minority, among young minority groups. What I'm really asking is this. Uh, a great many economists think that instead of coming out of this recession dramatically, we're just going to have a long period of stagflation where we don't have a really really serious situation, but we don't have things very well indeed. And this kind of chronic unemployment among minority groups just persists. And what I'm trying to find out is, other than summer jobs and that kind of thing, do you think this is really a serious problem that the United States ought to address and try to do something about? And if you do, what are your plans for it? Yes, I think it is a serious problem, but the most important problem is to meet the present uh, difficulty, which begins with the end of the school year. And that's why I think the Congress ought to act quickly on the request that I made for summer employment. Now, in the long run, the best way to get uh, the young people properly employed in uh, our economy is to have a healthy economy, not a government-dominated economy. I think we're in the process of coming out of the recession. I'm optimistic in the future, and when we, uh, uh, in the third and fourth quarters of this year, have the uh, success that I think we're going to have, some of the problems will be answered that you have, Mr. Jones. You uh, apparently had some intelligence reports uh, about a bloodbath in Cambodia. I'm wondering if you can bring us up to date uh, on anything in this area in Cambodia and whether or not there is any report of a bloodbath in South Vietnam. We do have some uh, intelligence reports to the effect that in Cambodia, uh, some 80 or 90 uh, former Cambodian officials were executed, and in addition, their wives were executed. This is a very uh, hard intelligence. That's, I think, uh, very factual evidence of the bloodbath that has taken place or is in the process of taking place in Cambodia. Now, uh, turn to Vietnam. As you know, there's a very tight censorship in South Vietnam. Uh, the news that gets out is uh, pretty heavily controlled by the South, by the North Vietnamese and by the Viet Cong. Uh, so we really don't have the same kind of hard evidence there that we have had in Cambodia in the instance that I've uh, indicated. But I think probably the best evidence of the probability is that 120,000 plus South Vietnamese fled because they knew that the probability existed 
that if they stayed, uh, their life would be in jeopardy. That's the best evidence of what probably will take place. You say you don't have any hard evidence. Do you have any report, any intelligence reports that indicate this is going on at the moment? May I ask you something, sir, and simply a matter of style and nothing of substance. Uh, reading uh, Mr. Hershey, who's been a week with you, and reading others, you seem to be a kind of a peaceful, quiet man, uh, a placid man. Do you ever get mad at people? Do you ever chew people out? Do you yell? Do you fire people? Do you kick people around? <laughs> I uh, have learned to control my temper. I uh, get very upset internally, but I've learned that that's not the best way to solve a problem. I do have occasional uh, outbursts on the golf course, but uh, in dealing with people, I found that the best way to uh, meet a personnel problem or to handle a serious matter uh, where a decision has to be made that you can keep cool, you can make a better decision, and I've learned that over a long period of time. And if I may follow up, sir, you were described as very angry about these rumors that you were going through a political charade and were secretly not going to run. There's a story in a news, certain news magazine a week or so ago. I mean, how did you express yourself? You know, uh, I didn't shout. I didn't uh, raise the devil with anybody. I simply indicated to my staff that the stories were totally untrue, which they are, and that no such meeting took place where uh, such a um, policy was outlined by me. Uh, I found the best way to handle a matter is to be very firm, very calm, but very forthright, dealing not only with my staff, but with others. I, I think they understand what I mean by the way I say it, but you don't have to shout to do it. Attorney General Levy has proposed the banning of uh, handguns in high crime areas. And the Justice Department says that the White House uh, cleared that position before he made it clear. Does that represent an extension of your uh, uh, proposal that the Saturday night specials uh, only be... Well, it's my understanding that... Um, the Attorney General, when he made that speech, uh, indicated that this was an alternative way of meeting uh, the problem created by Saturday night specials. Uh, it is my understanding that he did not recommend this as the way to handle the problem. Uh, I think it's a unique approach, and it is being uh, discussed uh, with the Department of Justice within our domestic council, but there is no firm decision on whether that approach or any other approach is the right way to, right way to meet the well, problem. Well, do you expect uh, effective gun control legislation to be passed, and are you going to get behind some effective gun I am not going to recommend uh, the registration of gun owners, and I am not going to recommend the registration of guns. Now, uh, or handguns, I should say. If uh, we can find some responsible way to do it other than that approach, uh, we certainly will consider them. Mr. President, a growing uh, number of Americans, uh, lower and middle class, uh, are being priced out of the housing market. 
And now there's new evidence that the mortgage rates may be turning around, and indeed the FHA has increased its rate by half a percentage. Can you tell the American people tonight that makers of houses, potential buyers of houses, can you give them any assurance that in the next months, in the next year or two, uh, more housing will be available at relatively uh, moderate prices and that interest rates will stay down. The most encouraging development in the housing area is the fact that uh, the uh, inflow of deposits in the savings and loans has gone up very substantially. It's my recollection that in the last reported month, about $4 billion in deposits flowed into savings and loans and that over the last uh, three months it has been a very favorable uh, inflow into the SNLs. This means, of course, that there is money available for uh, home buyers, and it's my judgment that once we start the upturn from the present uh, recession that the uh, consumer interest in buying homes will increase significantly and with the money available in the SNLs, uh, I think the prospects uh, for an upturn in the housing industry are very encouraging. Do you, uh, do you then approve the uh, FHA increase? Do you approve the FHA increase, Mr. President? I uh, approve the increase because if you're going to have FHA uh, handling of mortgages, if you're going to have uh, the government uh, guarantees they must be competitive with uh, other uh, interest rates. And I happen to think that an FHA loan or a VA loan uh, either are very good, and we want those competitive with the regular um, uh, conventional interest rates. And therefore, to make them competitive, uh, I agreed with the decision. Thank you very, very much.
Thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on, on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again, and so long for now.